The following audio drama deals with the tragic shooting that occurred on April 16, 2007 at the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University in Blacksburg, Virginia, United States. Please know that what you are about to hear may be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, dear listeners, to another edition of Pick Apart, the show where you get to pick apart uh, the most recent episode from April is the Cruelest Month. My name is Matthew Klein. I am the writer of the uh, subject of this Pick Apart episode, Common Area, which went live last week. We hope that you who are listening have already listened. If you have not, stop what you're doing this instant. Go. It is 22 minutes of your life that you will never want back. I promise. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) with that i want to introduce our guests here today uh starting from the left of my zoom screen uh gina so please introduce yourself and talk about the your role in the episode common area oh hi um my name is gina treviani and i play the role of lauren in this masterpiece um and she is a college student who kind of suspects at Virginia Tech, I guess I should say that she she suspects that her roommate's having a hard time and might have purchased a gun or a weapon and is a little apprehensive that things might get out of hand. Um, she, in turn, to feel safe, purchases her own gun. Um, and then we jump cut to the day of the sh- uh, Virginia Tech shooting and she thinks her roommate has gone mad and her roommate comes home and she pulls the gun on her and it's not her and lots of emotion and chaos and feelings and ensue. I think that was a great synopsis. I was going to say, yeah, listeners, if if you haven't listened to the episode, you don't need to now because Gina has covered it all. How dare you? The phenomenal sound design by our sound god, Joshua Wilson, is absolutely worth listening to as well. Fabulous performance from our other guest today. Uh, Grace, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah. Hi, um, I am Grace Vandewa. I played the role of Katie, what's her name? Yeah. Kelly. Kelly. Far more disturbing. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> I play the role of uh, Kelly, who is a college student at Virginia Tech, just having a rough time getting through some of her classes. And um, then she lives through that horrible school shooting and has a, a, a really uh, difficult interaction with uh, close friends, which doesn't doesn't do anything for their friendship. <laughs> I think I think yeah. difficult is like the most southern way of, of <laughs> that How incident. Do you say that because I'm from Michigan. Are you from Michigan? <laughs> we, I, I'm going to ask you a question that you're going to hate me for when we get into this. Then, um, and then last but generally not least, at least in our minds' eyes, um, joining us today is the director himself, the wonderful, the talented, the ever-present Kelly Monroe Johnston. Kelly. Hello. How are you? And yes, you are the namesake of I, Grace's. No, character. no, I'm I'm clear. Kelly and Lauren. I know where the names came from on this one, Matthew. You only you only remembered it because it was your own name, Kelly. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> there were there were many parallels that I find disturbing. Um, so uh, this is I, this I'm is how I know. This is actually how I know that my better half has not listened to the episode yet. 
because I named the character after her. Yeah, you did. She is not. Oh my god, you did. Yeah, I know. I know she's oh. downloaded it because she's a subscriber, but I know she hasn't actually listened to it yet. She so I get to give her. <laughs> and she's gonna be like, "What the hell, dude?" Well, Kelly, you you were at the one you were at the show uh, most that she was upset by. Yeah, but that's a whole other story for another time. Oh, she was very uh, she was very southern in that one. She that smile was that smile did not move. Um, but yes, uh, so Kel, I, tell us, I tell play, us a little bit about your involvement in here. I didn't play anybody in this one, but my father went to Virginia Tech, but not during school shootings. So there's that. Um, would have made for an interesting timeline in your life. I'm just. Oh, I will say, I will say, I will jump us off with this. Um, when, when you wrote this, Matthew, and it, 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 in my opinion, it's actually, I think easily, if it's not the best thing that we've done in Coolest Month, it is, it is in the top three. Um, it, it, um, it was interesting because you and me and John, our other our other head writer and and Josh, our sound guru, were talking. And Josh said a thing I hadn't considered before, which was that he had a hard time. He thought we would have issues with his generation, which is closer, honestly, Grace, to your age group than even Gina's, because of the subject matter. And while I was puzzling that out, I don't remember. I think it was John Petrie actually that said, well, sure, because they grew up going to school with actual drills for shooters. Whereas we grew, when I grew up, we took drills for like getting under the desk in case there was a fire or, you know, you stayed in the house, got under the desk. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's what we did. You can see I paid attention to those fire. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that was for an earthquake. I don't know. I was in North Carolina. I don't know. So, but what struck me was that this is actually one of the things I find interesting is that while it is, it is a very disturbing, uh, fact of life and story it actually resonates differently generationally depending on on your age which is something that I had not i had not considered before so yeah it was it was the hard listen for I'll, sure like even having been a part of it like once you throw the um the sound design in and the like being able to hear all of the lines on top of each other um and actually how it was written uh it was i i had to listen through through it twice um really to wow to like really grasp it just because it uh I think the first listen through for my generation at least it's like a, I want to I wanted to step away from it like I wanted to just turn it off because I was like I don't I don't want this totally I I, I have lived not lived through it but yeah I've lived through this time and I've, I've been a student when this was a threat yeah and listening to it and seeing you know the Cause I grew up in high school also like looking at and college, like when you see somebody that looks like they're having a really hard time, um, you know, mentally that is, that is one of the first things that we're taught to look to is like, do I need to do something? Should yeah. I tell somebody, is this person okay? Are they going to do something wrong? Is it my job to step in and make sure that they don't? Um, so yeah, it was, it was a hard lesson. I had to, I had to take it in twice to really, uh, grasp it all. Wow. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting you talk about that, Grace, too, because and and Kel, for me, generationally, uh, I was in middle school when Columbine happened. I was in not even middle school. I was sixth grade. So like for me, I by the time I got to high school is when they started putting in the metal detectors is when they started doing the drills. So I literally was there 
you know, when when the sad phenomenon that is school shootings really gained national attention. That was my generation. It could have been someone in my class, basically, is what we all were starting to think. And you got really paranoid really quickly going, all right, who's the kid in seventh grade that everybody picks on that ends up with doing it? And you start having conversations about them. And it draws this whole giant thing of paranoia. And that's really where I kind of drew on when thinking about sort of Lauren's character in this is sort of that that fear that we we all now live with, you know, in in these in these settings, and it's it's terrible that we do, um, but it's also something that we have to acknowledge. It's something that we do have to work through and and address as part of the cultural conversation. Um, which I agree, this was a this is not an easy listen. It's a really great listen, um, and the yeah. reason you know it's really great is because it's not easy. I would argue, but. Yeah. and. I mean, piggybacking off of that, I think something that I got on the second listen through um, that I found really impactful was the conversation between um, Lauren and the the person in the um, me. No. Oh, oh Lauren and uh, the, the counselor Heidi. Yeah. Uh, Heidi yeah. Plater. Well, I don't remember the yeah. name. Um, Genevieve. Genevieve. Genevieve was the right. character. Yeah, right. the, the the woman that kind of shrugs her off. Yeah. Um, there, there's a moment where she says, "Are you?" Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Uh, are you maybe, you know, like, do you need to talk to somebody? And I think that that gets in the first listen through, you know, you're so focused on the, the story between Lauren and Katie and Ming and what's going on there, that there's that moment where it's like, had the gun been loaded, that woman taking care of Lauren could have saved Kelly's life. You know, like, I, it's it's just interesting. Yeah. And um, Lauren projecting that onto somebody else rather than dealing with her own issues is another uh, message entirely that's kind of like you kind of snuck in there and I think it's really important and um interesting that you were able to include that in the script as well in this um the whole purely by accident I promise I have no no I just, <laughs> I just write the words when they come I don't know I nothing is by intent. Characters have a lot of depth. It very, was, it was really well very modest, Mr. I, Klein. No one's buying it, but very modest. Um, do you know what's a little crazy on my end from all of this? Yeah, yeah, please. I want to take it over to you. The day, maybe two or three days after you you Kelly asked me to be a part of this, you said, Hey, check out the script, and I got it. Um, the ho- former high school I went to had an active, well, they had an active shooter call. Oh, um, luckily a student was in the stall and thought they heard another student loading a gun so they called the police and they had to lock the whole school down and everyone had to go into their like the closets or to their back rooms and it was very very scary because I have so many friends who are teachers there so Mm -hmm. like I mean I don't it's very scary for the students but it was so surreal to be like because I have a job that I kind of drive around a lot and I had to parameter the school because you couldn't get by because it was basically closed down by every single form of cop or fire truck you could imagine but like trying to think about like oh my god I know people like before we knew there wasn't an act like it was not a, there was no gun um it was like I, I you know what what can I do where do I go do I go and like no you don't want to go obviously you're not gonna go some parents just like stood outside because they were like they didn't know what to do but just like texting people and being like hey are you okay and it's like yeah we're in the back the lights are off the kids are panicked it was very just kind of surreal to have that 
thing happen like firsthand and then to read a script like this where it was kind of like, oh, this is like the inner workings of the of something that where it actually happened. What's interesting, Gina, is, and again, I am betraying my advanced age, but like what you said was a student was in the bathroom and heard what sounded like someone else loading a gun, which mm-hmm. created this. And I'm not kidding. If I, when I was in high school, if somebody had gone to the principal's office and said, I thought I heard somebody loading a gun in the bathroom, I swear the attitude would have been like, what? Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there would have yeah. been, that's insane, you know? And then maybe yeah. if they'd insisted they would have done like a locker check. But the idea that like the cops and the fire and like everything shut down, that is such, yeah. even now, even acknowledging the reality that is so alien to what my experience was. And there is only, Gina, between you and I, there's only like a 20-year gap. Yeah, it's not that much. That's a generation. That's not, that's yeah. not like, yeah. you know, like that's how much has changed that fast. Yeah, I mean, know? when I was in middle school, we had a, um, there was a, an altercation like outside on the premises between some mm-hmm. people that didn't go to the school, um, but we had to lock down the whole building. And I remember just and, you know, when your students, they don't tell you what's going on. Right. They, just tell, they tend to tell you that it's a drill, so you don't panic. Right. Sure. Um, and then we're sitting there and it's in 10 minutes go by and we're all kind of looking at each other like, is there, or should we be scared? Are we, yeah. we should be sure. scared. Right? Wow. And then, and then, you know, 15, 20, 30, and you're all just sitting there and because lockdown drills, you turn all the lights off, you hide in the corner of the room, you lock the doors mm-hmm. so nobody's in there. Yeah. And so we're all just sitting there in the dark, like are we going to, are we going to get shot? Like what, or what do we do? It's not like they have body armor to hand out to you or anything. Right. Right. So we all just sat and waited until, and you know, luckily they never entered the building. They stayed outside and it was eventually handled. But um, yeah, I mean the, the part of the script where you have Lauren and Ming like hiding in their dorm is very, very real. Like that's, that's, that's what you do. Turn the lights off and you hide and you sit and you wait and you call for help and, you know, 20, 30, 40, an hour goes by before anybody comes and tells you that you're safe. Oh my God. Yeah. Even, even just hearing, I feel like, you know, like you said, you go into lockdown, you don't know if it's a drill or if it's, is this real, but then to hear like in the script, like reaffirming things like that, I think that was a gunshot. Was that a gunshot? I don't know. Was it, that's, I can't even imagine how those, even if it was five minutes, they were in there, how that just must have felt like an eternity. Like, you know, when time slows down, when you're going through trauma of some sort, because your brain's in like fight or flight. Like, I can't even imagine how excruciatingly long just that must have been to endure in in a real life situation. Yeah. And sorry, the sound design in that moment was really well done because it was, Mm -hmm. it was just long enough that you were like, what, what, what is this transition? And then, and then you, it sat you right back into it and you were like, so you had to wait as an audience member too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah. That, that was just, that was just really well done. It, it was. Josh Wilson, everybody. Josh Wilson, our sound guru. Did that. <laughs> oh, sound is that Josh sound Wilson? It's not all of it. I like Josh Wilson. Josh Wilson. I saw, I, he's we a, should he's buy. A we should. Cat. We should buy him a billboard. Need <laughs> need some sound, Josh Wilson, and then it's his face doing this. <laughs> Josh like would absolutely. Back. Like every cheap New York City attorney. <laughs> exactly. Like, or like um like Dan Larson will teach you guitar. Dan yes, Larson exactly. will teach you guitar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just flyers everywhere. Yeah. 
Uh, that was Josh, for, for those of you who didn't pick up, who, who chimed in there. Um, and I think, uh, Kel, if the if the next Kickstarter goes right, I think that's a stretch goal for our season Bill two board Kickstarter. Billboard for Josh. Billboard for Josh Wilson. I think this is going to happen. We're going to hit the $20,000 mark. We're getting him a billboard. Uh, We're getting him a billboard. Exactly. Oh, but God. You know, it's I, like the B-list Oprah. All right. Sorry. Exactly. You know, what's what's really cool, though, about this conversation, just just even listening to you guys, is that this is exactly the sort of conversation that you hope when you put out a piece like this that people are going to have. Right. Because it's it's one of those things we when we came up with the idea of April is the cruelest month, um, myself, John, Kelly put together a list of every event we could possibly do an episode around in that takes place in the month of April in history. And so we, we, we've got about 40 on that list. We've only aired seven episodes. There's so many things that happen in April. So it's insane. That's why the premise is great. We'll have seasons two, three, four, 20, 20, 20 20 on this premise. Yes, we really could, but it's one of those things. So, so you look at this and, and what's been really cool about this season is that I, I like to, to credit John, especially for picking issues that are not easy. We've, we've really chosen these things to represent things that are still happening right now in culture. Um, and I thought it was really, I thought it was a really important opportunity to look at an event like Virginia Tech that it's, it's far enough away that there, there's, that it's, it's not so fresh of a wound as Virginia Tech as if it was a year ago or Sandy Hook or what have you, but the issue is still very fresh and the issue is still very much alive and to try and find that balance to have the conversation that we're having now right is really what you hope to to be able to provoke it is um, oh sorry go ahead Matt. no no go ahead Cal. Uh, i was just gonna say it is interesting because because in thinking about the season the only other actual event that we chose where there would there's two that I can think of where there might be people still alive, right? Because, like, you know, uh, uh, Lincoln's assassination. Yeah, Lincoln's assassination. I don't think we got anybody left, but but like uh, survivors, there there are still people that like that survived the AIDS crisis from the '80s that are alive today. Um, mm-hmm. The Notre Dame fire. I don't think anybody was physically threatened in that one, so no. everybody remembers it. But this one is the one that stands out for me because this one is grievous bodily harm. That is not a plague or a disease, and it is it is not yesterday, but it is recent enough that it's like, ooh, this one is fresh. This one, yeah. This there, there are people. There are people that will listen to this and and understand that trauma. I mean, I mean, in theory, there are people that are the equivalent of Ming, Kelly, and Lauren who can listen to this. And what what I'm this sounds awful because I don't want it to happen, but I'm intrigued by is people that were at that event and can listen to this. And if we've done our jobs well, it, it will actually be like triggering. You right. know what but I mean? I, like it, it has that vibe to it. Kind it, of it does. But I think that the script is well done in that and that you get the closure at the end. Yes. Right. I, yeah. that, um, I don't know. The, the, the story of mental health through the whole script is really, is really what stands out most to me. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that was really well done. I mean, the well, other- and I think, I think that's a really wonderful point, Grace, too. So much of you, you look at art and you experience sort of entertainment in a way 
And I think even to a year and a half ago when the pandemic started, people started watching the movie Outbreak and Contagion like crazy those first couple weeks of lockdown. They were like the most watched movies on Netflix. But in, in part, entertainment like this can be a form of closure. It can be a way of wrapping your head around a phenomenon, an event or sequence of events that you're going through now or that you've gone through recently or you have family that have gone through. It's it provides that, that catharsis, and you usually see yeah, art like this. Not to say, yeah, it's, it's very it, You do that catharsis, and and you hope that that catharsis comes right. A lot of times, when you when you make a a piece that's really issue driven, you see that either there is a a question being asked, or it is meant to give some sort of catharsis. Right? It's you're trying to incite conversation and awareness or you're trying to let people know, hey, you've been through this, we understand you're not alone in this, right? And so it's it's a tricky balance to try and get, and you try and do it without necessarily being preachy about one way to feel about an issue or another, and you just hope that you do your best to, to do it justice to the people that have gone through these sorts of issues. So, so I thought that was a really lovely point you made. You know, if if this can give a little bit of closure to one person, then we did our jobs exceedingly well, and it was worth every amount of blood, sweat, and tear we put into it. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think I think that this this piece is is done in such a way that it it can could definitely do that for somebody. Um, yeah. I also want to credit Matthew, both you in the writing and Josh in the design, as well as. Um, uh, uh, Heidi and, and Brewer who played the, the two sort of supporting characters because you did an, I thought they did and you did a nice job of dancing away from stereotyping anything. Um, cause with Heidi, for instance, cause you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Gwen, Guinevere, right? That was a character. Genevieve, was Genevieve or Guinevere? Uh, I think it's Guinevere. I think you're right. Anyway, what, whatever. Point being, we worked on this many months ago. To be fair, we didn't do it. You wrote the script. You should know. <laughs> um, when, when you know she, how many scripts I have, right? <laughs> when, when she goes to see Guinevere in the housing office, we literally did it two ways. We had Heidi read it because she's an extraordinary actor yeah. where one of them was this very dismissive, bored, and, and then the other one was engaged and concerned. And and Josh, feel free to jump in on this, but my memory is, and in listening to it, that it's the concerned person all the way through. I don't think we used the flip version at all. It um, is the concerned one all the way through. Really? Yeah, all the way through. And then oh. playing the guy that sells the... Uh, uh, the sells the gun. Sells the gun. He did a nice job of, of hitting a tone of like, okay, it's rural Virginia. He's got yeah. the accent. But it wasn't, again, like anything he says wasn't like super pro gun super right. whatever it was very matter of fact like you you know this yeah. is why people buy a gun and this is what you get and i just think that that's nice because again typically what you get in a story like this is to some degree um uh, way it becomes a mission state you know yeah. you're it, it, yeah. you're you're arguing one side of an issue yeah you know in in a lot of ways because you you bring it you bring your own beliefs to pieces like this Right. And one thing that I've I've tried to take is I don't have to put any bias into the writing. The audience will bring their own bias with them. Yes, they will. You know, it's like whatever 
whatever you think you're doing, you don't need to do it that much because if someone has a strong opinion an opinion on something that you're touching in the writing. I like a picture. working that into the picture. I like a pition. Can we? I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I, I just acknowledge that you created a whole new word there, but I don't know what it means, but I like it. Can you say that thought again, Matthew? I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, no, but it's one of those things like if you if you if you give them just a little bit to to touch on, they will start filling in the blanks themselves with what they bring to it, right? And that's and that's okay. So so to your point, Kel, like I was very careful not to make the gun seller super pro gun. I was very careful to try and make the the counselor not super dismissive or willfully ignorant or anything like that. That can all be brought in from the audience. The audience will interpret those scenes. And I, I'm sure there's somebody who is going to listen to this and say, oh, what are you talking about? The gun seller was absolutely super pro-gun because listen right. to him. Look at what he's doing. They're right. going to go in and say, well, of course she, you know, she was just pretending to be concerned for the student because that's what she's supposed to and that's the beauty of it you know when when you have such a a hot button you know and and visceral topic people will will bring that influence in there one way or the other right. and, and i think that that's i mean that's how art is meant to be experienced yeah. right like you're supposed to be able to interpret it and i think that both the script and the actors in those roles did a really good job of not doing anything over the top and just making it very real mm -hmm. so that when an audience listens in they can find they can find a character that they relate to in any of them there's not there's not a character that nobody's going to relate to because they're way over the top or it's it's clearly like bias driven um so yeah i think i think that's how art is well done is that it gives the audience a chance to interpret for themselves. Matthew, I do have a question for you and and Grace and I mean Kelly's heard it too. All of you guys on this same topic. I'll even oh, we're coming back. Bonjour. Oh, there you get there uh, Josh on screen for this. Oh, He's man. Like, Josh has just come on screen, dear listeners. Like it's always a treat for us. I look like someone a potato. I'm sorry, you know. Someone Anyways. Someone told that guy he looked good on a billboard. Um, <laughs> so, um, when I was editing and doing all the, all the stuff that I do for this, I had talked to Kelly in the same conversation about the thing with Mrs. Lance of, I don't know if this was intentional or not. And either way, it doesn't matter, but I had designed it later with both the music and the sound design and the takes they were using to where you didn't actually know who the quote unquote killer was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Where it was far more ambiguous while it, Grace at the beginning was like, you know, you were like, oh, very obviously this is the person that has problems. But I started to intentionally pick takes as I went through for Lauren, Lauren especially, and then around the others that was like, oh, does she have the problem? Is it? Ooh. And so like things like the music, there was no like definitive theme for every character mm -hmm. to give something away. It was just, oh, there's this spooky theme, I guess is what I would call it. And <laughs> it's like, there's spooky, like sketchy tension music, but it was character agnostic. Yeah, I think sure. you gave the the you gave us the feeling of the ambiguity of real life rather than 
forcing the story to tell us what to listen for, you know? You so my the audience. The finale to my question that you can finally answer was, did you intend intend that or did you even lead me into bringing my own bias into it while I was making it? Um from from my standpoint as I was working primarily on the second and third drafts actually is where I started playing with the idea of you you, you hit on it a little bit you did um cuz like I I did sort of want to play with the tension of who's going to actually be the shooter here right cuz you don't know if the shooter's going to be Kelly just because just because the the, the beauty of of narrative too right it's like you're you're following these characters but you don't actually know if they're reliable you just assume they're reliable because they're the people that you're following so just because they're saying kelly is the one who's the person actually buying the gun who's the person actually bringing it into the room who's the person actually like getting prepared to fire it it ain't kelly that you see but they keep claiming she's the one to look out for so I was I was really excited to sort of play with that a little bit more in the second and third drafts, and and sort of it, it's a fine line because you don't want to you don't want to say this is a red herring. Look at this over here, and so you got. I was trying to be a little careful of how big do I write the spiral for Lauren to kind of go off because if she goes too far too fast then people think they're going to get ahead of the story and, oh, it's actually her. So, so I was trying to find that balance of sort of like, where is she in every scene to sort of mimic? It could be. Um, and then to, to bring it up to the end there. So yes. So some of that was definitely intentional. I think you did a really good job with that actually for Lauren as playing her. Cause I definitely, when I was like breaking this script down, I was like, Oh, it clearly ramps up, but then it like takes a step back and then it takes like a step or two step forward. So I think you did a very good job with like seeing that through. I do love the idea of the unreliable narrator. That's like one of my favorite, like when I'm reading something or acting something out, it's like, you have to think like, wait a second, am I just aligning with you because you're talking a lot or is it because like you're actually telling me the unobjective story or like they're unbiased you know I, I think that's really cool I mean that that became clear and I know Josh talked to me a little bit about it while he was recording but it was very clear in the final draft that that there is that very strong ambiguity of okay there's a concern about Kelly but we're following Lauren and as you say Matthew all of Lauren's behavior is far more extreme than any like Kelly says she wants to kill her her classmates, but Lauren goes to a gun shop and buys a gun and, buys a gun. and goes through her roommate's room and like snoops snoops through stuff. Like, and and what's interesting is that it, when you step back objectively, that is that is a part of the narrative that I get I guess kind of gets lost in that a lot of the time, uh, not in a school shooting situation. I, I would be super clear that that's not what I mean, but this instance of being afraid and then being proactive in that fear by buying a gun and getting ready ends up tending toward the more likelihood of violence than not, right? Like that what, what is interesting to me about the script is that it, it, it isn't hard, like no one, no one is like pro, pro school shooting, right? No one is that, right? We all no. agree on that. But then very quickly after that 
level, we divide out very quickly and, you know, whether or not we should restrict guns or whether or not that doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. And you, I thought, did a very nice job of circumventing that little trap mm -hmm. into sure. what happens when we let our our reasonable fear develop into something further that becomes paranoid and does it affect our judgment? Mm -hmm. Because the thing that, mm -hmm. that is not lost on me, and I, I really love, and I love actually the exchange at the end is that, and you can hear it in the design, is that Kelly comes in the room and Lauren pulls the trigger, but there's, the gun is not loaded. So it's just the sound of it clicking on the empty barrel. And I mean, that means that if things had been different, if she had preloaded the gun, Kelly would be dead and it'd be a very different ending, right? Well, you're and assuming so, that she's a good shot, but yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm going for the, the place of highest dramatic tension, but yeah. you get, yeah, you know, she's paralyzed from the waist down. You know, I mean, like some, something bad has happened. But what is interesting is even typically in like a story, you'd kind of let that drivel out because like there was no real consequence. And what was really lovely is this, conversation at the end where Kelly basically is like, yeah, you tried to shoot me. The fact that you failed doesn't let you off the hook. You tried yeah. to kill me. Right. Whether Remember you that? like that or not. I mean, like, and that is a thing <laughs> that I thought was really stellar about this. And I, frankly, I love that Kel is not ready to like, let it go. Right. right? Well, like eventually how, how maybe, but you, not, you yeah, know? you know, it's been a and, year. And know? there's, I think that the, it's it's written in such a way that you can see that she's trying, you know, mm -hmm. um, but she's not quite there. So you have this like awkward, are you coming back? Like they, it's like yeah. it's like I'm gonna leave. Yeah, but she stays to still ask the question. Yeah. Um, because it's like we lived through this trauma together. We bonded through this trauma, but also right. you tried to fucking shoot me. Like, yeah. sorry if I can't swear, but like she no, just. Okay. We're not rated. You can say whatever you fucking yeah, like, please. You you tried to shoot me, um, you know. Fuck you, basically. Is yeah. what she says, um, and I, it's the that interaction I think is is the thing that kind of gives you the audience closure is that you know it's okay to not be okay. Um, right. Yeah. And yeah, especially after a, a trauma like that. Um, yeah, that that interaction is just really really interesting the way that's written out. That was and the hardest scene to write. Because and, I, and, and Kel will attest to this, I, I showed them three different, you know, drafts of that ending, trying to figure it out. And I finally just gave myself permission to be like, because the, the earlier versions of the script, that interaction happens a few days after the incident. Yeah. And then oh. by, no, exactly. Yeah. There was no way to resolve it. There's no resolution. No. It's too it's too fresh. You can't possibly yeah. be in a place to even have the conversation with the I other person. Wrong. I, I want to say it was John's idea actually to say, what if it were like the reunion or it was yours? Yeah, I think what so. Then I'll, I'll give John that credit. Sure. Um, let's, give, let's give John, throw John a bun. So John said like, you know, the year, <laughs> they do the annual, they, they do the annual uh, commencement, not commencement, what? Uh, Ceremony. Ceremony. Vigil, vigil, thank you. They do the annual vigil. And so we thought, uh, you know, when John said, it was like, oh yeah, a year later, that makes sense. And yeah. so again, that's really nice that they all come, but then that there, there is that moment of like, yeah. I'm, I'm here and I'm not ready to forgive you. Yeah. Maybe I will be, but I'm not. And kudos to you. Cause I think, I mean, actually for the three of you, cause Francesca was in the awkward position of like being between you right. two. 
yeah, but trying to be peacemaker sort of yeah. for you to to have to to walk that line of like I'm trying to be normal and oh yeah you tried to kill me so fuck you yeah and Gina to you because and it's understandable but Matthew gave you like 17 I'm sorry's and yeah. that's yeah. listen you did a great job but that's not easy to play right like to have to say the same thing and give it give it real gravitas and have have like a journey in it and i thought you did a really lovely job gina of like not just saying i'm sorry but like this girl is really horrified at what she's done and is falling apart and is not getting right. yeah you know i mean like it's and and that's how trauma affects your brain right it's like right, you yeah. don't yeah. know you get sometimes you get like stuck in a loop and so i think that's yeah. how i can yeah. see that yeah 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 is um i think the way i played it is I think Kelly went in not knowing how she was going to react and not, she didn't have a plan. She just was like, I'm just going to see, like, I don't know if I'm ready to forgive her or not. I don't know. Um, and I think that the, that trauma response of just like sitting in a loop of like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just so real. Um, mm -hmm. And seeing these two people and having to play that was, it, it was a challenge, but it was, it was really fun am i allowed to say that about this kind of scene sure. um, yeah uh to to play two people experiencing a similar yet very different trauma and how do they how do they communicate that with each other and try and find closure in each other it's really yeah. interesting well and the, and the thing about it is is you know for for lauren she's still in the moment of pulling the trigger like oh, yeah. even a year later she's not out of that moment yet to yeah. your point like she's still trapped there but kelly with a year removed and being the person it was done to versus the person doing it so to speak in in this case and that's not the case with all traumas obviously but but you you know kelly had a different journey of that year and is in a is in literally a different place emotionally yeah, than 100%. where lauren is and and she maybe has found a little bit of distance where lauren is still absolutely still in that moment of trauma yeah, and I think you feel that really well in that when you listen to it too that's that's exactly how it feels and and that's what people do you know people people deal with traumas at their own pace and in very different ways and there's no timetable on it and I really want to try and portray that with these two characters of saying I'm in the same physical space with you and we went through an event together but what has happened to us since and where we are now does not have to be the same. It can still, it can, and it's messier that way. Right. Which is, which is how it works. Life. It's always messy. Yeah. Yeah. That's life. Yeah, it is. That's my, life. Uh, messy. My trick. I, for those of you who listen to it again and anybody who does my trick that I pulled with the music in the similar way was I only wrote one melody mm -hmm. for the whole thing. It's only one. Hmm. It's four notes. Yeah. If I had my if I had my piano wired, I would play it, but it's only four notes. Um, and it's followed by this like ratty cello, like terrible sounding cello, which got really famous for being used first in the Joker, not the Joker, not the Joker movie, the Dark Knight. It was the Joker's theme in the Dark Knight. Yeah. Hans Zimmer. And then it wasn't a cello though, right? It was a viola, right? It was like the high string. No, it's a cello. It's lower than you think. Oh shit. Okay. Um, and then it was used again in the social network. Um, oh. But I just really like that sound. And then it's a piano playing the melody, but then it goes through once and it plays when 
Kelly comes in and Kelly, when Kelly leaves, um, but, and then you're like, oh, it's the bad guy theme. There it is. But then it comes back when Ming goes into Kelly's room mm-hmm. and then it comes back again. Same. It's almost the same thing. I mean, it changes a little tiny bit because I didn't want people to get bored. Um, or people think I was copy and pasting music, but, um, and then when you, you created a motif, it's, it's yeah, good. Yeah, it's a, yeah, sure. That's what, that's what music. they call it. Um, like that motif. It's, um, it's a motif. And then it comes back when she. <laughs> motif there's that. It's a motif. That's what going to say. <laughs> there's a, there's a bar in Colorado called motif. That's a jazz club. And it's all I ever think about. Um, but, um, it comes back when she buys the gun. And then what's really important is the cello is the first thing that always enters. Like you just hear it like creep out of nowhere. And then it's completely gone during the shooting scene. Just entirely. There is no music at all. Yeah. Until the interlude in the middle. Yeah. Because you had to pass time somehow. Yeah, you have to denote that. And that theme is the um, official, unofficial, cruelest month theme, which plays in every episode you'll hear it at the climax of every episode it exists very well done Uh, oh nice when the when the tornado passes over and twisting when the earthquake hits and earth will quake all that jazz we love a motif Um, oh yeah we love we love a motif we love them we love a motif um and then in the music isn't gone after that and then it is the cello is entirely gone and it's just the piano theme at the end Mm. I did notice that part. So it does all of the ambiguity right up until the end, because like the most ambiguous moment is the climax scene. And I was just like, no, I'm not helping you here. Right. I'm, I'm, not, giving, <laughs> I'm not giving you a hint. You're on your own. Yeah. Good luck. Oh, oh, you get music now. Not what you thought was it. <laughs> and I really appreciate the, the silence in that, in that climax. Cause you do as an audience member, you sort of lean on, the sound cues or you'll lean onto a theme and it, it can sort of be a bit of a cushion when if there is the absence of sound, if there's the absence of that sort of support, then you're in it and you're just like, oh, there's no safety net here. I'm just oh, yeah. terrified. What is about yeah. to happen? Yeah, it like plays into the theme of like, you know, it this this episode really gives you the ambiguity of real life. And that's done through the script, through the sound, through the acting. Like it just is it's you, you, you have ambiguity through the whole thing. And it's, it's very, very real. Yeah. And I pushed really hard to not make it sound like, I just think out of more of like a respect thing for the scenario, not to do it like a thriller. You know what I mean? Where you like, like the score, it's like the whole thing teeters right on the edge where you're like, Oh, this could very easily become a psychological thriller. Like I, in my head, I was like, when I was working on it, I was like, Oh, I can see how this would, I'm not scoring it. I'm not doing an action movie. And like very quickly with how you set things up, like it can cross that line really quick. The only time there was any ever any thriller-ish sound effect was in the climax scene. There's a heartbeat underneath it. I noticed that heartbeat. Oh. Yeah. And it's it was very, it was very I, do. I, I gotta I go really back and listen it. for all this stuff. I know. I really liked it. Oh, I, oh, I, hide, oh I, I hide things all over. Over here with the headphones. Yeah. Okay. I, I had my third listen through with headphones on this yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. World of difference. I listen to it in my car, so I have like voices coming from either side of my vehicle. Yeah. It's yeah. in, uh, <laughs> it's in, this is the first episode we've done. I, we didn't announce it or anything. This is the first episode we did in Dolby Atmos. So it's like oh. very, like, 
all the episodes kind of do this, but this one in particular, like, because it's an accepted format now. Yep. But like, yeah, with headphones, 10 out of 10 would recommend listening to it with headphones. I, I put the, I, I do the voice at the beginning to wear headphones for a reason. It's one of those like, do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the, a lot of people listen to podcasts in their car. So yeah. you're going to have a, struggle with that it's you know it's funny uh it depends like obviously because matthew's in new york and josh and i were in new york we started a lot in new york a lot of people listen to it like in their commute on the subway so they are actually listening to it with their earphones you're right like everywhere else people are in their cars yeah Yeah, so it's mixed for both it sounds its absolute best on headphones but it is mixed to be heard in cars like it's it has to kind of it's not as crazy as it could be no it, it sounds good either way but the earphones you pick stuff up Gina, I have a I have a question for you now. Um, given yeah. your extensive experience with executing people, given that you were in one of the most fearsome gangs in Chicago, um, mm-hmm. you said your body count was like forty two. Is last I heard forty seven. Thank you. I'd appreciate it if you read up on me before you tried to comment on my execution. I'm not trying yep. to say <laughs> that. I'm saying like forty seven to that to that number. Um, in your yeah. in your opinion. Uh, given your experience, did you feel that uh, Ming's willingness to try the onion rings a second time was viable at all in this? Or, you know, as a as a killer of men, I just was curious about your, you know, what? No, not a... You know, you'd actually be, you'd actually be surprised how many people request onion rings after their best <laughs> friend was almost sex. <laughs> It's it's comfort food, you know. You just want something familiar. I would have thought you know. It's clearly on the moral high ground the entire time. That is true. At the end, the fact that she's the one that's like, I'm healed enough to try a new. Yeah, here we go. There is closure. Ming, Ming actually that, has the, the most complete arc of any character. I know. Was that was that the real That's, journey of the piece? Ming and the Onion Ring? That was actually original working title. Ming and the Onion Ring. <laughs> there was just 30 pages of that. And then we were like, I don't know. We can pull that off. Well, you have to have the Onion Ring versus Tater Tot versus French Fry argument. And then, yeah. you know, well, then you're in trouble. Right. A, a thing that a thing that we've done in other pick parts that I, I would like to do with this one, if I may, is um, and I can do this roundtable. So I'm going to start with yep. I, I'm going to start with actually Grace, and then kick it to Gina and Matthew. You get to go last, which is um, given that you played the characters, you know the story. So we saw them one year after. Mm-hmm. What what do you think happens with Kelly? Like beyond this last moment of the script. What ends up happening with Kelly? Um, I think Kelly ends up going back to school. I think she goes back to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, okay. Um, because I think she, and maybe this is me putting my own personal bias into it, but um, going through a trauma like halfway through school, there's this this part of you that's like, if you if you transfer, then you let the trauma win. Sure. Almost, and I think that that might just given how it's written and where she's at and what she experienced and um, that she kind of felt victimized by Lauren, I think that she would have this kind of stubborn reaction of, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And you can't, you can't take that from me. Um, 
Okay. So I, yeah, I think she would finish school at Virginia Tech. I don't okay. Think she would leave. Ruby. Uh, Gina, what about Lauren? No, see, I think Lauren falls into the category of, I think she lets it win for a little while, to be honest with you. In my opinion, I feel like even though it was, uh, like uh, such a traumatic event overall, like the many layers of it was an actual school shooting of what she did to Kelly. I think like her ultimate for in her mind, nothing will be okay in her life until she gets that forgiveness from Kelly. You know what I mean? How that has some people just fixate on that. And like, that's the one thing that will give them permission to like heal and move forward and move on. And I feel like that's something that maybe that she kind of harbors for a while. Do I think that maybe at some point she gets it? I hope so, because for her and for Kelly, forgiveness would be great. But I think she struggles a little bit because I feel like, I mean, maybe, and again, maybe that's just me putting a little bit of myself into this character again, because I am that type of person who it's like, oh, I did this horrible thing and I, I don't know how to rectify it with myself until somebody else like gives me permission to be like, no, it's going to be okay, even though it's not. You know, it's like that fine line of, eh, well, huh? And so I think that she kind of is on the struggle bus for a while, but, you know, I, eventually I'm sure she finds some sort of levity and joy. Did you say she's on the struggle bus for a while? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I've never, never heard of being on the you struggle bus. never heard of the struggle bus? Really? I was on the struggle huh? bus. I believe I'm on the struggle bus. I'm delighted to have learned this. I am on the struggle <laughs> bus. My stop is coming. I want to really quickly for our audience. Um, Stepping away from your trauma and, and moving on with your life in a different direction does not mean you're letting your trauma win. I just think that's how Kelly. Oh, yes. I just wanted to clarify. Sure. Oh, no, no. I didn't mean that like that at all. I just. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's no. what I was trying to. I, I, oh, yeah. I may have said it in such a way that makes the audience feel like, you know, oh, no, let your trauma win. But that's not. I just think that's how Kelly would have viewed it. I don't sure. think it's wrong to step away sure. from your trauma and move your life in a different direction. Sure. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to ask you about Ming. Oh, sure. Um, so, uh, Ming became like, uh, first in her class at Virginia Tech going on. Um, I actually, I actually think Ming, uh, graduated with honors and, uh, went on to actually, uh, become a counselor for, for victims of violence. Really? Um, and pursued a law degree where she became, uh, very vehement against, uh, for the anti-gun lobby, basically. That sounds like Ming. And and yes, oh, Josh, um, probably you took what I was gonna say. Banger of an onion ring shop. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Josh Wilson. Onion rings by Ming. Rings by Ming. By Ming. Rings, by, rings Ming. by Ming. Ming. Oh, it's a it's a shop that sells engagement rings and onion rings because she's all about a combo. <laughs> <laughs> well, to to get us to wrap up, I, one one thing I would like to say yeah. is you know when when you start as when you're the writer you start by yourself with a project in a lot of ways. You know, you're on your own trying to, to figure out the foundation for this thing. And the most coolest rewarding part of the experience is to then get to hand it off and watch other wonderfully talented people who are so much more talented than, than you are to actually take what these words are and bring their own sense of ownership into the roles into every element of the production and to experience that really wonderful collaboration. And you hope it's gonna you know, go really well and everybody loves it. You just don't know till you listen at the end. But I'm really privileged for the kind of ownership that all of you took you know, from, from these little words that I wrote in a room by myself. And it was an incredibly rewarding collaboration 
And I'm unbelievably proud of this, and I hope you all are too. So, well said, Matthew. Well said, Mr. Klein. On that well note, said. we are um, going to wrap up. We are. Is there anything, anybody, any last minute comments, questions, or plugs before we uh, part ways? Besides okay. for uh, ring, Rings by Ming? Is rings by Ming. Ming. Yeah. Rings by Ming. Yeah. Plug, so, yeah. yeah. And, a, and, a, and a billboard for Josh. That's all and a I billboard for Josh. thought of this race. That's all. So, Jana, Grace, tell the folks where they can follow you for all your misadventures on social media. And please feel free to plug anything that you've got coming up. Gina, we'll start with you. Oh, my goodness. My life's not very exciting. But on social media, do I have a social media presence? Sure. On Instagram, it's Gtrebs. I don't know if that's the way to plug things. But, no, my life's not that interesting. It's fine. I can just stay in a hole. Thanks for listening to my voice, though. Wow. That's it. That's all for Gina. <laughs> and Grace, what about you? Any place uh, they can follow your your insights? And also, is there anything, any projects coming up that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Grace V Wa. That's G R A C E V W A A. Um, and I am about to be in Christmas Carol at Stage Door Theater Ooh. in Atlanta. So if you live near Atlanta, see you in Christmas Carol. Dope. Who are you playing? I'm going to be Mrs. Cratchit, um, and all Ooh. of the child, Cratchit children are actually my students. I teach theater, so I am got to get them into the show. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Oh, that's so dumb. Well, and make sure your entire class listens to Common Area, because we could use the, the listens. So, please. Oh, some of them are a little young for yeah, Common <laughs> Some of them are a little young. We'll get, we'll get the rest of the cast to listen. Yeah, there you go. We'll get the cast to listen. Yeah. I can do that. There you go. Uh, all right. And Kel, as always, where can they find you? And what else do you have coming up that you want to Oh, find? my God. Well, I'm directing Christmas Carol for Stage Door Theater down here in Atlanta. Um, I don't really have a... Well, that's not true. I do have uh, a presence on on uh, the interwebs. I'm on Instagram. Um, but I don't remember. I'm interlo Inter interlocutor. Interlocutor one, I think. Inter <laughs> you are indeed. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at MatthewKlein316 because I am the bottom line for all things comics, uh, theater, pro wrestling, follow for more. Um, I also actually just got very big news yesterday for an upcoming project in 2022 that I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but soon. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Indeed, we will uh, offline. But for all things April is the Cruelest Month, you can follow us on at the Cruelest Month on Twitter, Facebook, um, and Instagram, we are posting new episodes weekly, more great episodes of the Comics Corner, uh, hosted by John Petrie, uh, Heidi and Nora, Don't Know Nerd Things, which is the best game show that you should be listening ever, to ever. on your daily commutes. Um, we are gearing up to see how we're going to get season two of April's The Cruelest Month as well. Uh, we're actually going to be working on the first script for that right after we finish recording this. And that is why we've got to go. But for goodness sakes, whatever you do, don't be cruel.